Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. I'm just warning you that I'm a little crabby this morning. (laughs) I know. That's all right. No, but I'm going to tell you why, because I made the colossal mistake yesterday of going to get a massage. Do you not get a good one? What happened? I know you are a regular connoisseur of massages. You love your massage. I, on the other hand, prefer to stay uptight and in pain. (laughs) I can barely move. That's when I perform my best. But I've been working so much and I haven't been, you know, I play tennis and everything and the weather's been so lousy here. So I haven't been. So I barely moved my neck. So I made the mistake yesterday of going to get a massage, which was then um, exacerbated by a cupping procedure that I consented to. Yeah, I don't do that. Okay. So today I can barely move. So that worked out great. So you, I guess you got like a deep tissue massage. Yeah. And I mean, I could take the pain, but I I don't know what happened. I think my body is in shock that my, especially (laughs) my upper back and my neck (laughs) is somewhat mobile today. So back to uptight tense, Julie, where I can, you know, I think I prefer that than this. I'm sore. I get a deep tissue massage once a month and I am sore the next day, especially my upper back. Um, where like, if you touch me on my back, you know, I'm like, ow, like it, it hurts. So, um, I, I feel it, but it, for me, it's, it's good. Um, it's important for me to just like have an hour or 90 minutes as I do a 90 minute, like just where I can relax and not, cry on the inside weep for <laughs> at the, the dissolution of our country that's yeah. right true <laughs> the destruction of our constitutional order but all right julie give us the 80s give us the 80s nostalgia oh wait i have an announcement first this Uh-oh. is the hugest news huge news you know it we are available on spotify now that's right Woo! i got off my lazy ass and i was like <laughs> what does it take to get on spotify and actually it takes not much because I had it done in 30 seconds. So we are so to, huge. We're so we're huge. huge now. Because, you know, Watch Rogan's out. on Spotify, too. Watch <laughs> out, Ben Shapiro. Here we come. Here comes That's happy right. hour. To so take you down. Good news of happy hour is you can now listen to us on Spotify. Happy hour with Julian Liz. So now we'll go back to our regularly scheduled 80s nostalgia. Julie, go to it. I really got nothing except the TikTok that you keep sending me of the lady, the woman who does the 80s flashbacks, and the one that you sent me this morning about the Halloween costumes we used to wear. The worst. She she really nails it. She is hilarious. And I'm not on TikTok, but several people, including you, just inundate me with TikTok videos. I do not inundate you. I send you well, like one a month. No, you and others. You and others. You are okay. part of a TikTok mob trying to bully me into. You becoming... like my, but I do good ones. I send you good nostalgia TikToks, which is what no, you I do. like. You're on... not sending me German Shepherd TikToks like my husband does. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Anyway, what's her name? Because she is hilarious. Oh, no. I have to, let me look it up. Look it. Cause I shut, I shut that window down. Oh, here. I, I think I've my... got it. I think I've got it. Uh, Where's the one you sent? Julie Watch in all caps. Yeah. Kelly Mano? <laughs> Kelly Mano. M A N N O. 
That's how Julie and I talk. How I get Julie's attention on a TikTok. Julie, watch in all caps. And I said a TikTok. But it was awesome. And so that was a great video just reminding us of how sort of simple Halloween was when we were kids that your parents went and got like a box. It was like a box costume where it was like a paper towel material <laughs> which had a picture of whatever you were on it and then you had like a spider-man mask that was really crudely fashioned out of rough plastic and it had like a rubber band around the back and you strapped it on your head and the eyes never like hit, fit over your eyes and you were sweating it was I mean that was our Halloween so and it I was. remember I'm, it I'm was. sure everybody remembers that so Yes. Good memories, Julie. I will link that TikTok in our show notes. And I have a very important 80s um, uh, nostalgia. On yesterday, which was October 25th, Bauhaus's third album, The Sky's Gone Out, came out, which is one of my favorite albums. Bauhaus, one of my favorite bands. Who? It's a great album. Yeah, I know. Who? Not no, White literally, Street. who? I don't know who you're Bauhaus. talking about. Bauhaus. Bauhaus. Bow wow. or, oh my god how are we friends not how bow wow friends? not bow wow wow no <laughs> wait bow how house? friends bow house they're a bow. goth band b-a-u-h-a-u-s <laughs> <laughs> peter murphy is a lead singer he also had a solo career after Never leaving bow house the band broke up half went to love and rockets peter murphy did a solo career very important. They sing their most famous song, which you may or may not know, is a song called Bella Lugosi's Dead, um, which was a song in a movie, The Hunger, which David Bowie was in. Um, it was about God, vampires. It's getting worse. This is getting worse. Oh my God. <laughs> it's getting worse. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm sorry, Liz. Pie. Maybe I'll try to listen to it this weekend. I'll, I'm trying to I'll think of it. I don't you. think you'd like it. I was a goth, goth punk girl. It's. I don't think you would like Bauhaus, but they are a very important band, very, very influential. And mm-hmm. Sky's Gone Out is a great album. And so yes. now that Julie's done, I could tell Julie's really cranky. I'm sure everybody listening could tell she's a little edgy, <laughs> a little edgy this morning. Fine. And, and the weather is just horrible here in suburban Chicago. Thank God I'm going to Florida next week. I just don't function in this weather. Is it cold or rainy? What's going on? Just dreary. It's not even like cold. It's just rainy and dreary. And I need it to be 85 and sunny so I can function now in my pain. Just just not a good week for me, Liz. All right. Well, Let's we have great to... news ahead. Just kidding. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> but I mean, the Republic has been saved because we finally have a Speaker of the House. And the only gratifying aspect of that is that all the right people are completely livid that Mike Johnson from Louisiana is the new speaker. Yep. I think I, from what the people I know who are the sort of insiders, they, they are, they are pleased with this. So I have to be optimistic. I think the most interesting story surrounding this, um, you can get the details actually am great. Deb Heine, our friend Deb at Am Greatness wrote up about the story of all of the sabotage that Kevin McCarthy was doing behind the scenes during this process to sabotage any new speaker from getting elected. He is just a real piece of shit. Um, so because I think he um, wanted it back. He wanted the speakership back. Yes, obviously. I think I think that's what he wanted to do. I think he wanted to punish 
the people with like public humiliation where you know nobody could get enough votes to move forward um and then they would have to come crawling back to him and uh the actual information about the story came from an interview that Matt Gates did with Steve Bannon, where Matt Gates was talking about all of the machinations that McCarthy was doing to prevent them getting the 217 they needed to get a new speaker. So fascinating story. Um, I, I'm hopefully I'm optimistic. I personally think the first order of business is to remove anyone from the Hamas caucus off any sensitive committee. Yes. You know, yes. if you're on Intel any sort of armed services, these these people um, need to get removed immediately. The Rashida Tlaibs, the Ilan Omars, uh, get them off, get them off any committee like that. But so we'll see. Like I said, the right people are angry and the 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 best people that I know are happy. So um, that <laughs> is our national nightmare is now over and there are already hit pieces on him in the right places. So that just further confirms our belief that this was a good thing. Um, and it, it looks like this turned out well. I mean, Matt Gates took a gamble and he did. It, and it, it paid did off for him. I'm just happy that we have an insurrectionist as the speaker of the house. I feel like it's time. Oh, that's right. Politico. Didn't they call him a, a election denying insurrectionist? Or something. Yes, I think they they all yeah. did. I mean, the the Democrats <laughs> and the media were just completely melting down. Jamie Raskin, Adam Schiff, Ugh. you know, he enabled the insurrection on January 6th because, well, first of all, I think he helped draft the uh, Texas lawsuit, or I think it was maybe going uh. to read in Louisiana, and then Texas uh, Attorney General Joined. Ken was the one and then they joined I think there were like 18 Republican AGs who joined that yeah. lawsuit. That <clears> wasn't <throat> a very important lawsuit. I think that was probably the most promising lawsuit of some of the okay. stuff that happened around the election, namely that the states were objecting to not being treated fairly with these different like election laws that had ta been taken place in, in like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin that there was like a disparity. I mean, that's why the Supreme Court gets involved in state issues is that the states all have equal standing as states before the, the federal government. And so they were claiming that they weren't being treated fairly because some of these states had gone outside the constitutionally prescribed process for determining, right. uh, you know, how election laws are made. Like in Pennsylvania, the court is the one that decided how the election was going to proceed when the constitution is very specific that the legislatures of each state make that decision. So that was a good lawsuit. So go ahead, Julie, you were saying he's, he helped do Louisiana. So that's good. Right. So, and you're right, that lawsuit, which was filed, I think maybe December 5th or 6th of 2020. And it did detail how democratic operatives in these four states, well, not really Georgia, but certainly, um, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania were violating the election rules that the Republican legislature had established. And to your point, what was happening in Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court routinely, I think it was five to two Democrat majority, they were just rejecting all of the all of the court filings in that state about how the laws were violated there. In Michigan, the Democrat uh, Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, she illegally sent out like 5 million absentee ballot applications just to every voter, which was against the law. Wisconsin had their um, Wisconsin Election Commission also violating state law. 
Unfortunately, the Supreme Court decided not to take up that lawsuit. Um, But that was just one angle of Mike Johnson being an insurrectionist, filing a lawsuit detailing how states broke their own laws to make sure that Joe Biden won. But then also he was one of the Republicans, 100 plus, I think, who had signed on that day to reject the electoral college counts in those swing states and ultimately did vote against certifying Arizona and Pennsylvania. So we have an insurrectionist in charge of the House. Yay. Going to be good. <clears throat> Let's hope that, you know, we'll return to regular order. We'll get appropriations because like we talk about on the show, um, the only check that the legislative branch has over these rogue um, executive agencies that we're constantly talking about and we're about to talk about some more is the power of the purse and constantly having continuing resolutions and omnibuses where it's just one big chunk of money and they aren't actually appropriating for the agencies, they've given up their ability to get these agencies back in in line and accountable to the people, to the people's house, really. I mean, that's what the House of Representatives is, literally the people's house. So I'm hoping that we'll see a change you know, and I, I realize that the Senate is always harder, but you make the senators take the nasty votes, you know, make them say no, make them say no, make them fr- fly their freak flag high. Let them be the ones to yeah. say no to what the House is doing. Don't let them off the hook. So anyway, with that in line, talking about rogue executive branch <laughs> agencies, <laughs> we have we had a big story. Julie, why don't you intro and let's get into it. So basically, and I've got this letter in front of me, it was a letter sent to uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general and FBI director Christopher Wray, uh, a couple of days ago from Charles Grassley, who has been really um, accounting for the FBI DOJ investigation into Hunter Biden and James Biden and, of course, Joe Biden for their overseas uh, business dealings. And, of course, they've got whistleblowers coming forward. They uh, have other information. So they're asking for more records and documents that, of course, the FBI and DOJ are withholding. But what was pretty explosive is it looks like there were at least 40 CHSs, confidential human sources, also known as informants, who were involved over a matter of years um, that were providing critical information relating to Joe Biden, James Biden, and Hunter Biden. This is part of the letter. Grassley goes on, this um, letter is based on years of investigation, including provisions of information records. Allegations from multiple DOJ whistleblowers indicate an effort among DOJ and FBI to improperly delay, stop, in any um, investigative activity into the Biden family. The alleged political Infection breaks faith with the American people. It will ruin our governmental institutions should it continue. Um, I think we're kind of past that point. But anyway, I admire the the words there. So this really documents how multiple FBI field offices, top DOJ officials, it looks like Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue at the time, were continuing these investigations, money laundering, violations of the foreign uh Act for an agent registration act, which of course they've nailed a few Trump go to allies for that. Paul Manafort, et prison, cetera. Yep. And they were investigating all of this throughout 2020, and they had information uh, 
in October of 2020, it looks like, emails that directly contradicted Joe Biden's public statements, of course, he was making on the campaign trail and even in the debate. He had nothing to do with his son's business dealings, never discussed anything with him, never met with any of these executives, which, of course, we now know also is a lie that he was meeting with them directly. There's photographs and and email correspondence to confirm that. So it looks like there were FBI agents, um, Tim Tebow, and then, of course, Brian Outen, working out of the Washington field office, who declared any investigation or news reporting on Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings and ties to his father as a foreign influence campaign. We've heard this over and over. And I believe then it was Liz, if you know about this, too, so just jump in the foreign um Let's see. What was the body of the Foreign Influence Task Force mm. that was formed by Christopher Ray to make sure that anything bad about Democrats yeah. could be deemed foreign uh, influence, a Russian disinformation campaign, which, of course, they did with the laptop as well. So uh, any, so this is pretty explosive. And of course, the big uh, FBI form called a 1023, which records what CHSs are telling their FBI handler. And this was the guy who was connected uh, with Burisma and then talked about this alleged $5 million bribe that was going to be paid to make sure that the owner of Burisma was protected, not investigated. And of course, that prosecutor in Ukraine, who was looking into Mykola uh, Zarchevsky, who's the owner of Burisma, that that prosecutor was fired, which, of course, he was. And Joe Biden later bragged about it. So anyway, more evidence of a cover up and, of you know, just the existence of the entire Biden crime family racket. Um, I I know I've said this before. I say this maybe once every show or or whenever we talk about Hunter Biden and the disparate treatment that Hunter's getting versus, you know, like a Paul Manafort, um, I, I like to remind people that it isn't so much that these agencies are protecting the Biden family. They are protecting themselves because they were always aware of what Biden was doing, even when he was a senator. Because remember, there's classified documents from when he was in the Senate that are in his garage and he had literally no reason to have. I mean, I guess you might be able to make some kind of case that he was vice president. He had classified documents. But for a senator and back when he was a senator, they didn't have digital things. Literally, he had a piece of paper that he removed from a classified skiff and took it home. So very illegal. Um, But there were a lot of people that knew what was going on with the Biden family and didn't do anything. So it's easy to say that they're protecting Biden and partially, yes, they are, but really they're protecting themselves because it would come out how many people sat back and watched this influence peddling, repeated influence peddling involving millions, tens of millions of dollars. And who knows what degree of national security was compromised and policy was compromised in the process. They are protecting themselves because they knew. And I want to bring up something I saw a couple, I think, yesterday. Um, Jason Foster, a a, Mm. a previous guest on Happy Hour, a friend Mm -hmm. of the Happy Hour podcast. And that is not a title many have because we don't have a lot of friends because we're bitches. Um, Jason Foster came out (laughs) that 
they were spying the the intel people were spying on jason foster who worked for grassley who worked for grassley they were spying on him to see what information he had when he was doing his job conducting oversight of the intel community you see that story julie Yes. Um, I mean, we knew that they were spying on, they were trying to get Devin Nunez's records. Cash Patel, also a friend of Happy Hour, he was on a few weeks ago. He got the notice from Google and I think his cell provider that the government was seeking his records. And then the other, I think the chief of staff during the Nunez's FISA investigation, um, who actually died, uh, they got his records too. But this was a big group of, of individuals. Yes. So just, again, out of control, out of control, because the pretense of the spying on Jason Foster was, oh, well, classified information got to the media. Really? Who else were they spying on? The New York Times, were th- were those people getting spied on? Because they regularly post selected, right. quote, classified information. How about Washington Post? D- they spy on the Washington Post after uh, – What's his name published the conversation between Mike Flynn and Sergey Kislyak before uh, Trump was inaugurated that got Flynn in trouble? That was a very that was a very classified uh, information that got leaked. Repeatedly, we see these classified information is getting selectively curated and leaked to the media and nothing happens. And yet someone like Jason Foster, who works for the government and works, his job is literally do oversight, is being snooped on so that is very disgusting and very disturbing and I you're right to and I mean who out. at the who at the Washington Post was it David Ignatius he was the yep. first one in January yep. to talk about the possibility that Mike Flynn spoke about Russian sanctions with Sergey Kislyak who I also think was an FBI informant even though Probably. he was ambassador because he was like the where's Waldo of Russia collusion then to your point that recorded details of the conversation between Flynn and Kislyak that got him fired in February. But then in April of 2017, the disclosure of the FISA warrant against Carter Page, which really sort of blew up the Russia collusion. Yahoo News. What's his name at Yahoo News? Ran ran that story. It was in the FISA. It was included as evidence in the FISA warrant. That's right. Michael Isakoff. So his his article was September of 2016 in Yahoo News that talked about this high level British intelligence officer who had information that the Trump campaign was in cahoots with the Russians. And you're right. So it was just this circular. It's a circle jerk. operation. And then the, the Yahoo. And I don't know if David Korn's article in October of October 30th of 2016, also about steel and, and, you know, getting these warrants. I don't know if that was in the FISA application, but Michael Isakoff certainly was. So who is giving them this information? Well, we know Isakoff met with Christopher Steele and Glenn Simpson, the owner of Fusion. They were openly peddling the story to top news organizations. Glenn Simpson, who used to work at Wall Street Journal, very well connected in Washington, New York. Bruce Orr, right? Bruce Orr and Nellie Orr, who worked for uh, Fusion GPS. Bruce Bruce Orr is in Intel. He was having meetings with these people. He was a spook, you know? So So it's sort of the same thing is being hashed out 
with the Hunter Biden story, right? So they're planting this, okay, we have this information, we're going to bury it. Then we're going to take these FBI agents. They're going to go to the news and say that this is Russian disinformation. Brian Otten actually met, this guy has a lot of balls, met with Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley to brief them, quote unquote, brief them that the Hunter Biden information, that they suspected it was foreign disinformation. And of course, then that got to the Washington Post, right? You've got top FBI briefing top Republican senators about potential foreign disinformation campaign about Hunter Biden. Then you've got the intelligence officers, 51 former intelligence officers published that letter. I think Fusion, not Natasha at Politico, I think she was the first one to publish that letter. You know, this has all the markings of a foreign disinformation or foreign election interference campaign. Same program, right? The same, same pattern that played out in Russia gate planting the seeds of that in 2016, 2017, playing out throughout 2020. And it succeeded. It's literally the business model. If this information would have been made public in August of 2020, I mean, it was sort of coming out before the debate. Tucker interviewed Tony Bobulinski, talked about the big guy, et cetera. So they knew that this was all sort of unraveling at the worst time for Joe Biden. So the FBI, DOJ comes in the corporate news media and, and rescues them. Yeah. No. And they, it literally was, it came out that it was, it it was specifically solicited very fast so that Biden had a line in the debate. I mean, it wasn't organic. Like, Oh, we sent this around to our experts and our experts came to the conclusion that this has all of the hallmarks. No, these people just signed their name to something because they were told they did it really quickly. And the reason they did it was only so that Biden could have that line in the debate. And again, even though it was unraveling, you know, the mainstream media was still pounding it. And you saw repeatedly in all of their coverage, 51 experts in the intel community say, you know, even though the discredited New York Post story, 51 intel experts say that this is, has the hallmarks. And of course, none of them even saw the laptop. They, it's not like they examined it. They didn't. They just signed it. I mean, someone has come out and said, no, I just signed it because they asked me to. Um, so you could see this is really just the business model of all of these operations. I mean, basically, we're just getting operation after operation run against the public by the intel community. And this is just another instance of that. Well, what's frustrating, and I think that this is part and parcel to what was happening in the House the last few weeks and McCarthy's ouster, is that they did not, and Liz, you and I talked about this extensively before the 2022 House elections is they have to jump in immediately, right? They have to start line iteming out salaries using that Holman rule. And you know the process better than I do. There was no attempt to impeach Merrick Garland, impeach Christopher Ray, which should have been top of the list. He didn't even have to do what we find found out now. He had enough misconduct up to that point to justify it. There was no impeachment. There was no cutting their salaries. There was no shutting down the Washington FBI field office or the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. There's, they're not even grounding this raised plane that belongs to us. They, they didn't do anything. Nothing. No, and that, I think that's why people are so frustrated is that this stuff is getting more and more flagrant and there's literally nothing being done. I mean, not even a... a pathetic gesture 
um, I guess maybe we get a sternly worded letter or something, right? Like someone will write a letter and say, hey, you're still haven't cooperated or furnished the documents that you said you would. Um, you know, and, and and it's always good when Grassley writes a letter. He's he's they've done such good work, Grassley's people on getting this stuff out. But it's kind of like, here's the letter dot, dot, dot. And then what? You know, he sends this letter and what's going to happen? They're going to throw they're going to exactly. crumble it up, throw it in a trash. Well, they haven't nothing. responded. They haven't responded to any of his inquiries. And right. Chuck Grassley exactly. was the one, by the way, last year when Chris Ray said, oh, I got a plane to catch. And he's like, well, yeah, don't you have, have your vacation. own plane. <laughs> yeah. For no, vacation. Chuck Grassley. He has our plane. You just tell him you're not going anywhere till we're done with our line of questioning. Or we're going to ground your plane. Bye. They have a, no, we they have the a prison cell. They have a prison cell in the basement of the House of Representatives. So it would be super based if, like, there was a hearing and they were just like, no, and had bailiffs, like, take him down to the prison. Like, they, you know, just like, like, sorry, you're, just, you're not going anywhere, buddy. Where are the keys to the plane? We're putting you down in this prison until you, you know, do what we say. Um, it's very frustrating and it's getting worse. And like I say all the time here, whatever something is being happening now that we're going to find out about in two years, you know, during the election, there's it, it's not just going to go smooth. You know, it's not just going to be normal. There's something going on and it's plotting right now and we are being distracted. And then eventually this, this too will come to light. And that's kind of been the pattern is these distractions like shiny object, squirrel, whatever, look over there and something else is, is happening. So mark my well, words. Speaking, um, speaking of a prison in the bottom of the house, there's <laughs> one guy who is not going to go to jail, be subjected to pretrial detention, being charged with a felony count of obstruction for um, obstruction of an official proceeding, civil disorder, yeah. fleeing the police, obstructing an investigation. And that is Representative Jamal Bowman. Yes. He got uh, the VIP treatment. He sure he did. <clears throat> so he was the he's the lunatic congressman from New York who a couple <laughs> months ago tried to assault Tom Massey in the House because Tom Massey doesn't support gun control. He's screamed at um, Marjorie Taylor Greene several times. The guy obviously has some serious mental, emotional issues. issues. So he pulled the fire alarm um, on whatever day that was last month, I believe. He was trying to interrupt something. He literally was he literally was interrupting an official proceeding. So this was a Saturday when the House was I think it was October 5th or something when the House was prepared to vote on the um, the continuing resolution yep. to the fund budget. the government until next. So um, they were about to do that. And all of a sudden, Representative Bowman pulls a fire alarm. The House Cannon House office building, which was the site of another insurrection last week. Those people are off the hook as well. Um, so the building is shut down. It's evacuated. Members have to leave. Their staff has to leave. And this was right as the vote was commencing at noon that day. Uh, he and then apparently, according to this document, he um, I'm trying to pull it up here. He said that uh Oh, he thought that this was the way to open the door that he usually exits, even though there were signs uh -huh. right there. Emergency exit only. 
and then the it's fire red. alarm. It's red. It clearly says, you know, fire alarm, do not pull. So he, um, and then apparently, according to the police report that was filed by Capitol Police, he was going in and out of elevators. He saw Capitol Police. He could hear this blaring alarm. He never tells Capitol Police, oops, by the way, I accidentally pulled this fire alarm because I was trying to leave the building. So he's not notifying police that he was involved in this. And um, he just got the uh, D.C. Attorney General. Keep in mind, this is not Matthew Graves. This is not a federal offense. This is a local offense, which, quite frankly, most of the January 6th defendants should have gotten because that's kind of common. Um, he was charged with one uh, one low-level misdemeanor count. Yeah. <clears throat> well, also, I think if I if I remember, he was a. A, a school principal, right? So, like, you would think he would know about fire fire alarms. Like, the idea, because he, you know, again, he's claiming he had no idea that this was actually a fire alarm, even though it was red and said, you know. Fire alarm. Emergency <laughs> exit, a fire alarm. And he was actually, like, a principal. So, that's something a principal would know just because getting fire alarms pulled in school is, you know, it's par for the course, right? So, it's just unbelievable how disparate the treatment of people are. And, you know, that goes back to our discussion last week of the Hamas erection, where, you know, we had a disruption of an official proceeding and probable trespassing. And, you know, whoever is got arrested is probably already out and just simply won't be charged. They'll, they'll be, the charges will be dropped, unlike the January 6th people. So, um, you know, it's just another example of the disgusting hypocrisy. So, I guess good for Jamal Bowman for uh, getting out, getting getting away with it. Now we'll see how many more times the fire alarms pulled in the in the house. Yes, they can just do it with impunity. Good for them. Good for them. Um, <laughs> so Trump is on trial in New York. Um, that was interesting this week. Among other farcical moments, Michael Cohen, the admitted convicted liar, took the stand. <laughs> This week, and I guess you know, can I um, just add something? In yeah. I don't know federally if this is true, but some states have a law that if you are convicted of perjury or you can't ever be a witness in a trial, I guess nobody pursued that charge against Michael Cohen because he is a liar. Um, but if he had actually been charged with lying, you and and perjury, you cannot ever be a witness in a trial in some states, which I think is probably a good law. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to bring probably. bring that up because he is a liar. Yes, he's a liar. He's a low light scumbag. Um, <clears throat> honestly, just another example of poor choices by Donald Trump, who would hire this idiot to be your lawyer. But he was. So he took the stand and then also. The crazy judge, Ergo Erdogan, or I always want to say, what's what's the president's name? Not of Turkey, of Hungary. Er, er, oh, Erdogan. 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 Yeah. <clears throat> so Ergogan, or whatever, that crazy judge <laughs> who's overseeing Letitia James's um, financial crime in case against Donald Trump, he imposed a $10,000 fine on Donald Trump this week for allegedly violating his gag order that Trump can't say anything about court staff. Trump made some offhanded comment to the media. He said he was referring to Cohen. 
the judge said, no, you are referring to the same staff staffer that he talked about before being Chuck Schumer's girlfriend. Anyway, complete shit show, as you can imagine, in this New York uh, court room. But it just seems like these judges are in a race among themselves to see who can get Donald Trump behind bars for violating a gag order or conditions of release in, you know, the Jack Smith two cases there. So anyway, more craziness. Um, Donald Trump's lawyers this week filed three motions to dismiss Jack Smith's January 6th case against the president. I have a piece up on my Substack talking about those motions. Uh, they're based on three grounds. One is obviously the case violates Donald Trump's constitutional 1A rights to speak about whatever he wants. Two is the statutory grounds, really the vagueness of these four counts, which includes obstruction of an official proceeding. He did not pull a fire alarm. He wasn't even on Capitol Hill January 6th, but apparently could still obstruct an official proceeding. And then, of course, I think the most compelling one, the selective and political prosecution of Trump. And the motion there was interesting, Liz, because his lawyers talk about, hey, if criticizing the outcome of a presidential election or raising doubts about it or investigating it is a crime, let's go back to 2016. And he cites, you know, just yeah. scratches the surface of the media reports and Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, who to this day still says 2016 was not legitimate. It was hijacked by the Russians. So got a piece up if people want to read that. Government responded last night. I haven't had a chance to look at it. But this is just the back and forth that's happening in that case next week in Florida. And I will be there for this court hearing as well. Another hearing before Judge Aileen Cannon, who I have the biggest girl crush on. I wish every judge was like her because she absolutely hates Jack Smith, Jack Smith and his um, attorneys. Um, there will be a big hearing related to the government withholding evidence from Donald Trump under the guise that it is so sensitive and a national defense, it, it, these national defense information documents, classified material, et cetera. It's so sensitive that even Donald Trump himself can't see it, even though it was created during his presidency. So she is not putting up with Jack Smith's team's bullshit in that case. That, and is, that is so that is so ridiculous. I mean, we literally have a judicial system that is built on the principle that you face, you know, that, that you have access to discovery materials. I mean, that's such a critical part of our um, legal system and that you are able to look at all of the evidence against you and have an opportunity to refute it. I mean, that's the core of the adversarial process. So to say that there are secret documents that are so secret that the defense can't see them. I mean, why are we pretending that we have, you know, what, let's get rid of the scales, right? You know, that we have the scales of justice and they're equal. That's like the symbol of the legal system. Just get rid of it. You know, just get rid well, of it. They and are. Have, like a, have a black power fist. No, but I mean, get rid of the symbolism, right? And the pageantry. And let's just let's just say what it is. You know, it'll just be a picture of like a fist crushing someone's face. And that can be the symbol of our judiciary, judiciary system now instead of the scales of justice. And with a blind woman, right? Because there's a blind woman holding up the scale of justice. Like, not anymore. Not no, anymore. not anymore. And that's why the media of course, is after Judge Cannon because she is actually holding the government to account and protecting the rights of the defendant, which is not happening in any courtroom in Washington, D.C., not just for Trump, but as you know, Liz, for all of these January 6th defendants. 
your obligation as a judge is to protect the accused from overreach of the government, withholding of evidence, bogus charges with no evidence. That is your job. And none of the judges in Washington, D.C. have done anything close to that for these defendants. But she is the exception in Southern Florida. And what she did recently is, and this is part of this, what's called the Classified Information Procedures Act. SIPA is the name of it. And these are very stringent rules for defendants who are accused of mishandling classified information to get access to those again. Now, that shouldn't include the president, the former president, who his again, he's his the, administration. He's the ultimate classification authority when he was the president. Right. You're talking about a traitor or, you know, say a, a spy, a spy. who's yeah. been installed into one of these agencies for China or Russia or whoever. And or is Iran, getting this like, which is actually the case. But go ahead. Well, exactly. But that's the basis of this procedure is that you can't then you don't want these defendants and their attorneys to have access to this material again not the president. So they're using the SIPA, not just in the classified documents case, Liz, but also January 6th. Now, what possibly could we not know about January 6th? What document could be so high level classified that Trump again can't see it? What Jack Smith was trying to pull in Southern Florida, he said, oh, we've got these four documents. We've got this material that the owners of the material want it kept in Washington, D.C., now, as you know, the entire January 6th, the entire classified documents investigation took place in Washington, D.C., right? That's how they got all the subpoenas. That's how they got the recordings of Trump's lawyers, because they were going to the rubber stamp court in D.C., not Judge Aileen Cannon, where she would have said, F you. No, you're not getting the records from Evan Corcoran, the president's attorney. But they got all that and then ultimately got the charges in Southern Florida. So Jack Smith goes back and says, oh, hey, we've got this material. So Trump and his attorneys have to leave Florida. We have to set up a separate skiff, which is the little secure area, and they have to go there to look at this material. Judge Cannon says, no, that's not their problem. That's yours. You brought this case. You brought it in the Southern District of Florida. You figure out how they can see this material in Southern Florida, because that's the jurisdiction where we're where we're handling this case. Right. And of course, the fact that they brought the case at the very last minute to Florida was like a little game. I mean, she's really calling them out on their shit. But I just want to make another point is that the media from day one. Um, really just hyped up this case and the way that the government talks about it when it does speak to the media and, of course, all their leaks. Um, you know, it's just the same thing we saw during Russiagate where it was like the walls are closing in or they finally got him or that we, 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 you know, he's he's implicated in all of these think pieces at these left leaning legal blogs about how much trouble Trump is in. And if this is true, then why are they playing games with the evidence? You know, I mean, this is what you do when you're losing. Right. Is your is is your messing around with and you're not being forthcoming. But we were told this was a sure thing. I mean, the greatest lefty legal minds of our time have come out and t- talked about how much trouble Trump is in and how terrible all of these this classified m- mishandling of classified documents are. And and yet they have to play games, which I think raises a question as to how 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 serious this stuff really is. And I don't think it is. And other smart lawyers, I'm not a lawyer, um, have have also made that case. But I just think it's peculiar that we have to play games because their case isn't nearly as strong as they've represented. 
They haven't. And I, I know we have talked about this. I always view the classified documents case as the weakest of two weakest. of Jack Smith's. It was so obvious from the start. So you ransack Mar-a-Lago for eight hours. You take 13,000 pieces of evidence, which they also lied about. They initially said 11,000. It was 13,000. And you walk away with 100 records with classified markings, quote unquote. Then you come back and switch the indictment is not classified material. It's national defense information. So they switch that up as well. So they had to charge him with something after the FBI raid, right? So they raid him in August of 2022. It's a total humiliation, or if they think that it is, they steal all sorts of personal banking records and medical records and Melania's underwear, whatever they stole out of (laughs) Mar-a-Lago. Her Birkin. Let's hope. We need to see that. I want a photo of that. that. Croc Birkin. That would be really, I would be pissed for me. But um, just another one of these like hypocrisy points I like to bring up. The same people who are talking about this classified information that Trump had literally went to the mats and swore on their life that just because something was marked classified didn't mean it was classified when Hillary Clinton had classified documents on her homebrewed server that was like in the bathroom basement of her Chappaqua house. Remember that? These right. And she literally she's, said it's, right. it doesn't matter if it's marked classified. It's not classified. We went through this. This is such right. a head fake. Well, this is what I think that Jack Smith is trying to conceal from Trump and his attorneys is that um, they don't want to show them this material. And in fact, Jay Brett, who is the leading attorney in the uh, in for Jack Smith, lead prosecutor in the classified documents case, Judge Aileen Cannon a few months ago pressured him and said, wait, are these classified? You're referring to them as classified documents in your motions. Are they classified? And he said, well, they're going through the classification review now. So you have 300 plus files that that we're supposed to believe Jack Smith and DOJ say they're classified. Okay, fine. Judge Aileen Cannon says, well, are they classified or are they marked classified? Oh, they're marked. We're considering them classified. And they're going through a classification re- review by whom? Lisa Monaco? Exactly. <laughs> the Merrick Garland, Avril Haines, an Obama flunky who is the director of national intelligence. We're supposed to just take them at their word. Well, Judge Aileen Cannon is not. And, you know, there's a very good possibility she could end up dismissing the case altogether simply for the fact they conducted the investigation out of the proper jurisdiction. Venue. Which she has noted her, herself. Also, I just I don't know exactly um, what the process is for classification, but I I have a feeling that you cannot ex post facto classify something that right. You can't just say all of a sudden that document that we gave you that wasn't classified is now classified and you're now a criminal. So these were documents generated during the Trump administration. So whatever they were classified as at the time is what they are. So the idea that they go back and now say, well, it wasn't classified, but now it is classified. I mean, first of all, the question is. Who classified it in the first place, right? Who's the classification authority? Because different agencies can classify things, but you always know who who has classified it. So who, who, who if any, did classify it? And again, like Judge Cannon asked, who, who subsequently is reviewing it and now retroactively classifying it? I don't, I don't know, maybe someone on Twitter who knows more about this process than I do can chime in, but that seems really unusual 
to to do that. Like I said, the agencies tend to classify as they generate documents, not four years later. Right. Um, well, they they can't. You're right. I don't think that that's possible. It's not how it happens. And I do think that's something that Judge Aileen Cannon, and this is why they keep dragging this process out. I think that's something that she is going to force them to to legitimize is that, okay, you said when your FBI agent stole these out of Mar-a-Lago that he was in violation of the May subpoena, May 2022 subpoena, asking for more classified files. They turned over 38 records. That still wasn't enough. So they said, okay, we still suspect that there's more. They got the search warrant rated. So she's going to say, well, you have to show how these 102 files that you took out of Mar-a-Lago actually were classified and that the FBI was following its own search warrant, the terms of its search warrant, to take these. And not like, oh, look, Avril Haynes just said this was classified in July of 2023. I don't think she's going to let that fly. Right. I mean, the question is. What what was the status of these documents on the date that you took them when you right. claimed the pretense for taking them was their classification level? It, and and good for her for doing that. I mean, she's she's like the only good judge, I guess, in America. So because I'll, we'll have an update on that next week. Oh, that's exciting. Judge. Liz, what's happening uh, over what's happening with Israel and Hamas? I know that you've been following that very closely. Um, what's the latest there? What is our bumbling idiot president doing or not doing? Well, the U.S. is basically kind of deploying troops, which I w- am opposed to, um, and and resources there. Um, but they're doing it primarily to protect Iran. What they don't want is they're trying to keep Israel from responding to this terror attack as they should. Because it muddles up our, you know, Biden's close relationship, the Biden regime's relationship with Iran, which who they're actually the really the partners with because the Biden administration hates Israel. Several people at the State Department have quit or threatened to quit because they don't like the fact that the U.S. is going to send um, or sell weapons to Israel. They think the Palestinians um, or Hamas, I I don't even want to say Palestinians anymore. I'm just going to say Hamas. They think, you know, Hamas has gotten a raw deal here. So that's what's kind of going on now is that Israel keeps uh, putting off going aggressively into Gaza um, because the U.S. doesn't want them to respond. And we're seeing more and more protests in the U.S. from useful idiots that want to free Palestine. Now, again, I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but there's never been a country called Palestine ever. Um, right. So there was nothing to occupy. Um, Israel, you know, Jews have been in that area for thousands and thousands of years, as well as Arabs. And, you know, Gaza is controlled by Hamas and Israel has nothing to do with it. And Hamas gets millions, if not billions of dollars from the U.S. They, in fact, the U.S. has waived um, some of our own laws to give more money to Hamas because Hamas is technically designated a terrorist group by the State Department. Um, so they did some waivers to get them money for aid. And they everybody knows that the money for aid is not going to aid because the people in Gaza live gar- like garbage. They have. Look, I mean, this has been going on for decades. There's no they don't even have made. They didn't build bomb shelters. Right. They talk about, oh, the Israel Israel's doing this to Gaza. Why didn't their government build them bomb shelters? There's no bomb shelters in 
in in Gaza. Now, there are, of course, in Israel because they're constantly under rocket fire from Gaza terrorists. But my point is, we are really on the wrong side of this. But the Biden administration is mouthing platitudes to the Jewish community here um, because they are big donors to the Democrats, big supporters of the Democrats. And um, so they kind of have to do that. But that's kind of what's going on now. Israel is there are still hostages. The count is up to like, I think the last I heard like 199. I think they're still trying to figure out who's a hostage and who was just burned alive or decapitated or raped and decapitated. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's one of the holdups, I think, of identifying every single person who's a hostage. They did release two hostages. Um, Now, the hostages that they released, uh, they have other family members so obviously these hostages who are released aren't going to go on the media and say it was barbaric. They're raping us. They're beating us. They're starving us because right. their husbands or children are also still in, you know, captivity. So it's a hot mess. The media is trying everything to do to downplay the atrocities that were um, inflicted on these people that they went after, the kibbutzim, the people that live on kibbutzes. Those are hippies, by the way. And they're usually like the ones who want to be like hang out with the Palestinians. You know, they're super sympathetic to that. They're lefties. And it, it's like a commune. A kibbutz. These are the most peaceful people. You know, they're, they're they literally are like hippies. That's what we're talking about. Those are the people they killed and beheaded and raped. Um, so that's kind of that's that's the latest. Um but again, we're still getting protests. There were some Jews that were locked in a closet um, and surrounded by um, Hamas supporters at Cooper Union, which is a university. All these universities are having. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, that, yeah they were. And um, we're getting reports of, oh, obviously, a ton of anti-Semitism. No, if you're Jewish on campus, get the fuck off of campus. I mean, it's not safe for you. These people are absolutely bananas. Um, and we've, we have, however, seen some big donors pull their money that continues to happen from these universities. And I think, honestly, it's a good wake up call for people to know exactly what's going on on campus, because where, wherever you stand on the Palestinian Israel question, which, of course, has been middle, the Middle East problem has been around for decades. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wherever you stand, you need to you need to acknowledge that raping and killing and burning innocent people, non-combatants, civilians, unprovoked is unacceptable. It's it's barbaric. Barbaric. A fucking animal if you do Monstrous. it. And that's not yeah. how you that's not how you deal with stuff. And these are people on campus that actually are okay with it. They don't they can't make that claim. They're fine. But Liz, with it. let me Wait. let me ask you this because you're yeah. close to it and obviously you're Jewish and you know this is affects I you I'm not I'm not saying more than me, but, it, you know, it's it's something that you guys have dealt with now for decades in seeing this happen to Jews, not just in Israel, but across. I mean, this this really used to be a big problem. What was it? 70s, early 80s when they were yeah. hijacking planes and they were blowing up airports. I mean, this is to your point, it's not anything new. I do think the social media aspect of it, especially for young people, really amplifies it. Yeah. But what's driving it? It can't just be anti-Semitism. These kids are too stupid. And I mean, I'm not talking about the Muslim kids who are at school or the Palestinians, but the well-to-do, you know, rich white suburban kids who are on these campuses, what's driving this? They, it can't be that they're just anti-Semitic. What is it that they've been brainwashed, that this is such a radical left-wing cause? Like, what is this? 
Okay, so this is what I think it is. And this plays into other social justice things that we've seen hap- crop up in the US, like the George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter and the cop kill, you know, the p- cop, c- the g- going after the police and stuff like that, is that these people live in a world where they, it, it's just saturated with this virtue signaling and social justice. And the Palestinians, the, the Iran really, because Iran is behind all of this, and and Qatar is also kind of an accessory. They have a lot of money and they've put a lot of money into getting people to see the Palestinian-Israel conflict as the Israel is are the occupiers and the Palestinians are the victims. So it just plays into that typical college student thing where they are, you know, social justice warriors and the victim is are the Palestinians. And that coupled with just wholesale ignorance of history, um, and that and that's what you have. I mean, these people don't have any idea how many times that Israel has made concessions to the Palestinians. Again, they gave Gaza. I mean, Jews were removed from their home. They have total control over Gaza. Did they make it a nice place? No, it's a it's a garbage dump. It's a garbage dump. They didn't say, okay, great. Now we have this land. Let's make it nice. Let's have our country. Let's show them, you know, or let's say we want peace. No, I mean, Hamas literally they're they're. And, and again, the students, the kids don't know this. Their charter literally is we want to get rid of all the Jews and not just the ones in Israel, you know, just all of them. So I really think that it's this, um, what is it, like mass psychosis um, yes. thing okay. similar. Yeah, it, it. I think it's just another instance of that where fill in the blank, where none of these people thought to ask, well, wait a minute, like what exactly was going on with George Floyd or what exactly is going on with this police shooting? You know, they're all ready to hit the streets as soon as possible and ask questions later. Um, so I think it's just part of that. It has no basis in reality. And and so that's my that's my analysis. What do you think? It has, that has to be it. And I'm not, def- you know, I'm not defending these kids who are doing it. They're just what is the brainwashing component of it? Um, of course, there's an anti-Semitism thread to it, but they're too dumb to even explain why they would be anti-Semitic. Like they don't, they don't even know where Israel is. And these are no, I mean, some of the best college campuses in the world. They're chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And what that means is they want to push the Jews into the sea. So it's right. like they're basically advocating for also genocide. Now, remember, these are the same people that were upset that there were 100 people with tiki torches and they were called themselves Nazis at Charlottesville. Now, yes. there literally are like you're literally burning Jews alive and these people are fine with it. But, you know, years ago, the, we had the tiki torches from Home Depot and these were like legitimately Nazis. So, well, a lot half of, of them, half of them were feds, half of them were feds at least. But well, still, that's point, true. The point <laughs> that is true. That is true. So like maybe 50 legitimate like incels that came out of their parents' basement <laughs> to come and cosplay like a white supremacist. That was the worst thing ever. But literally burning Jews and babies is not a problem for them. They don't even know what it means to say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They don't know that. They don't even understand that means like, so where are all the people who live in Israel going to go? Where are all the Jews? Like you know, and they say, oh, there's ethnic cleansing. There's Arabs that live in Israel. They're citizens. 20% of Israel's population is Arab. They have a political party. They have seats in the Knesset. It's a civilized fucking society. So they don't know what they're saying. And I really think it's part of this virtue signaling Olympics and this social justice um, perform, 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 performance, really, which is where we live in now, is everything is like a public performance to display yourself. And I just think people hopped on that. And somehow 
there has been a concerted effort to make to, to to position the Palestinians as the victim in this conflict. So there you go. All right. Good, good insights there. It's disturbing. I texted friends of ours. Um, they're Jewish. Their daughter just started at a top Ivy League school, one of the schools where they right. were having a lot of these protests. And I mean, these parents are worried and justifiably so. Um and shocked. They should be this angry mob. I mean, you do not yeah. want to get I mean, we've saw with these Antifa rallies where these crazy mobs, you know, and they circle around a car, somebody that accidentally made a turn into their into their protest or somebody just was in the wrong place at the wrong time and they got the shit beat out of them. I know someone was killed at an Antifa protest for that they had been that had you know made a wrong turn. So mm. they should be scared because the power of mobs are is terrifying. I mean, if you're Jewish on campus, you might want to get out, get away right. from that. Or you know, and sad. I mean, it's so sad. I'm so glad my grandmother's uh, dead. My grandmother immigrated here from Soviet Russia, where we were all my family's also killed for being Jewish. So, um, but you know, don't wear a Jewish star. I mean, is that you know, that's like a decision I have to make. I wear something that identifies me as Jewish. I always have, you know, do I, do I continue to do that? Do I, when I go out, I put it under my shirt, you know, yeah, I don't that, know. that's just crazy to even think about. <laughs> well, it's true. And every Jew, every Jew, I know a, a woman that wears something or even a man, men, you know, don't tend to wear jewelry as much who has like a high or a star. We have to think about that. You know, we have to think about, I have wow. to hide this. It's, it's disgusting, but that's where we are. So, um, yeah. So on that happy note, as we end all happy hour, I'm <laughs> like a terrible, yeah, tragic always note. right. On um, the dark side. Julie, are we going to be here next week? We may. Oh, I'm going to be in Florida. I've got that court hearing in Fort Pierce on Wednesday, but I'm hoping we could record we can on do it. We can, Thursday. we can pull it off. We're yes. going to try because we know yes, you missed us. We're not here. It's a kind of exclusive view of what happened in the courthouse on Wednesday. Let our devout, intelligent listeners hear firsthand what I saw. Excellent. Okay. So thank you for listening. You can subscribe on iTunes and you can subscribe on Spotify. If you're, if you're listening on Spotify, tweet us and let us know. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Friday, a wonderful weekend. And cross your fingers, and we'll be here next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.